How's it going today, guys? I'm back here live in the studio once again for an episode of Hot Takes with CP3. Today is Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020. I am joined once again by none other than Austin Clark. Austin, say what's up to the people. What is up, people? Thomas, thanks for having me again. As I always say, it's a pleasure, and uh, I always enjoy doing this. Hey, I'm glad to have you back on, Austin, you know. We always get down to business and get everything right, so we got to do the same thing for the people once again. Um, this is going to be the only podcast for me this week just because, you know, it's kind of a dead week with there being no football this weekend, so I figured I'd kind of take it light this week but get back in the swing of things hard next week. But let's get back down. Let's get down to it. You know, might as well go ahead and talk about these football games we saw this weekend. Let's start things off with the AFC Championship game, which started at 3.05 on a Sunday, and we saw the Kansas City Chiefs um, – get one step closer to what Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes both want. I mean, what do you what's your biggest takeaways from this game, Austin? I uh I love the Chiefs. I've loved the Chiefs. Uh I, I actually had a have a future bet with the Chiefs that began back in um November and um I have I have just seen their offensive weapons week in and week out and now for the past 2 weeks we've seen the Kansas City Chiefs get caught in a hole and they have to they have to make up points whether and we've seen this early in the first and second quarter and they've come out of it like it's absolutely nothing you know that first game when they played the texans i i turned to the person next to me and i was like wow this game is over it's 24-0 and you know going into the second quarter like this isn't going to be an entertaining game to watch for another three quarters and boy boy was i wrong patrick mahomes has just exploded. He's the talk of the town, and um, I'm happy for the guy. I think I think that he's balling out, and he deserves the credit and the respect. Um, but here's the thing with, with with the Kansas City Chiefs: they're going to be a hard team to beat for this reason. They put up 40, 50 points almost every single week. It doesn't matter how bad their defense is. The defense, in my opinion, you know, is not top five in the league, but it's probably in the top ten. You know, but you can get by with a top 10 defense putting up 40, 50 points every single week. So I think that that's why the Kansas City Chiefs have been the most explosive team in the AFC and why they are the favorites to win this year's Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, I definitely agree with you that they're the favorites to win this year's Super Bowl. Obviously favored by one point Vegas, but in my mind as well. Um, I just want to say this first, you know, I, th- I like how the Chiefs, you know, we saw them fall behind early in the last two games, and yet they still were able, you know, just to stick with their game plan and have confidence in themselves. You know, Travis Kelsey, he drops a pass both games on the first drive, kind of really kills all their momentum. They give the ball back up, and, you know, it's demoralizing for a team like Tennessee to have a, whatever it was, an eight-minute drive, you know, where they drive down, score a touchdown, and then just come out. I really thought that Tennessee got away from their game plan and tried to get too cute with throwing the ball in Kansas City, and that just played right to their advantages. You know, Kansas City had a great pass defense all season long. They just couldn't stop the run. Once I saw Chris Jones got ruled in, I was 100% sure Kansas City was going to win that game, which is exactly what ended up happening. But I think the biggest thing here is, we're watching the all-time greatest quarterback ever play football. And look, you can say whatever you want to about Tom Brady and these other cats that have played the game. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, that touchdown run he had, that was amazing. You know, he's electrifying. This guy had four total touchdowns, 294 yards. I'm pretty sure he led the team in rushing as well. 
And, you know, that's that's a Kansas City team. Yeah, he led the team rushing. Eight carries, 53 yards in that touchdown. You know, this Kansas City team, they just find a way to do it every week with or without the run game, even though I think you play better with a run game. But this defense has stepped up as well. The last month and a half of the season, once they pretty much got everybody back on the defensive side, they were one of the best defenses in the league. And the thing that, to me, assured me they were going to be one of the best teams in the league is last year on DVOA and all those, you know, next-level stats that combine your offense and your defense, basically, they were the best team in the NFL, and their defense was absolutely horrible last year. So the fact they have an improved defense this year, I think it makes them a scary team. I couldn't agree more. They, they, I think their defense has been getting a lot of disrespect mm-hmm. um, in the sense that, you know, they can't stop the run game. And I think to some degree there's some truth in that because they definitely do struggle with a run game. And, you know, you look at the team that they're playing in the Super Bowl with Mozart, you know, like – the man just went off for four touchdowns, you know, and the MVP of the NFC Championship. So, I mean, we, we can dive into that game a little bit, too. Um, we had the 49ers and the Packers where we saw Aaron Rodgers and the Packers defense just put up a terrible performance. You know, we sit here, and I know you and I have talked about this before, it's it's hard to win two games um against the same team in in the in an NFL season like it's pretty more often than not you're going to split games and um the last time that the Packers and 49ers played each other in San Francisco we saw the exact same thing we saw Sunday night we saw the 49ers just run the football down the throat of the Packers defense it didn't matter what the Packers did they could load the box all night long they you know Unfortunately, Matt Breida, you know, gets injured or whatever, but who would have known how many rushing yards those boys would have put up? And I mean, it it was astronomical to see Jimmy Garoppolo's stats at the end of the first half. He was like four for six for 76 yards and they're up 26, 24 to zero. Like, that's ridiculous. The boy didn't even have to throw the football. And, you know, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo still has a lot more to prove and He's going to have this opportunity, maybe possibly being down against an explosive offense like the Kansas City Chiefs. We have to see him, his hand kind of forced to throw the football and they can't necessarily rely on a running game. So I think it's going to be a really interesting matchup. Um, and uh, I think that over is going to hit for sure. I don't even know what the number is off the top of my head, but I can tell you it's going to, it's going to be a shootout. Yeah, I think it got steamed up to 54. I'm not 100% sure what it's at now. But, you know, I really like how they just came out and ran the ball down Green Bay's throat. Like you said, you know, this was a game when they played last time when it wasn't even close. You know, I was expecting the Packers to put up a little bit better fight than they did. But I really felt like that... This game almost tarnishes Aaron Rodgers' legacy to me a little bit. You know, he, this guy's so talented. He can make all the plays, but I felt like he really gave up. You know, on that play when he fumbled the ball, it felt like he didn't even fight for the ball. It felt like he just said, screw it, we lost, whatever, season's over. You know, I felt like he didn't even care. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo at- attempted eight passes in this game. I mean, Green Bay's defense and defensive coordinator looks like they weren't even prepared. It looks like they hadn't even watched San Francisco play a snap all season long. Like, I could have told you they were going to run the ball that many times. It's not freaking rocket science, you know? So, I really just feel like the Packers came out and just straight up gave up. They're just, a, I mean, the Packers, to me, they were a pack of frauds all season long. They were a 9 and 7 team disguised as a 10 and, or a 13 and 3 team. They never really played anybody all season long. And, 
I mean, at the end of the day, they ended up getting pounded in this game. I mean, this was a pitiful performance by them. It would be absolutely embarrassed. And, you know, Raheem Mostert, he took advantage of the big stage. I looked actually during the game to see if he was, he was still under contract for next season, which he is, because I was about to say, that boy's about to get paid if that's not the case. <laughs> but, I mean, San Francisco, this was old school, just ground and pound. We're bigger, we're better than you, and ran it down their throats. Also, you know, the other scary thing, too, about about San Francisco is they got Quan Alexander and D Ford back in there. When D Ford and Quan Alexander have been in there, this team's been completely different. I mean, these last two games for them, they've looked like men among boys. And I mean, this Super Bowl is one of the best matchups I think we've seen in a while. We're going to see both the two best teams. I mean, there's no question anybody can question these are the two best teams. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And after last year's Super Bowl, I think the final score was like. 12 to 3 or something like that like Mm -hmm. i'm really excited to see two teams that have the potential to be absolutely explosive so yeah you know it's 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 going to be an explosive game for sure um another thing too about this game kind of i mean Devontae adams even though he did do it with at the last sec you know even though he did do a lot of it in the second half Guy's still a baller, though. You know, he's one of the hardest receivers to guard in the league. I mean, I'm sure the Packers would like to have him healthy, but I also want to give a shout-out to Richard Sherman. I mean, I was having this debate with a couple other people. I think Richard Sherman's the best corner I've ever seen play the game. I mean, Deion Sanders might be better than him all time. Might be a couple other ones I've never seen, but in my lifetime, I've never seen anybody better than Richard Sherman. I mean, my biggest thing about Richard Sherman is he talks the talk but he always backs it up when it comes to game day. No matter who it is, no matter who wants to talk with Sherman, he's going to back it up every single time out there on the field. I mean, that's what he did once again in this game. You know, this San Francisco defense, they played great. I mean, that game was over at halftime. It was 27-0. It wasn't even worth watching in the second half. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, The game was over at halftime. It was one of those games where the score looks a lot more respectable than the game actually was. Um, but, um, yeah, I think Richard Sherman definitely does deserve some respect. Um, he's got one of the lowest, um, passing attempts, um, for defensive backs in the league. Not to mention he's coming off an Achilles injury in his ninth season. You know, um, most people get an Achilles injury and their career is over and here he is, putting up stats and numbers and leading a defense to the Super Bowl. So I have lots of respect for the guy. Um, uh, Many might want to be reminded that he was, he also doesn't have an agent. He negotiated his own contract. So he went to Stanford. He's a pretty smart dude. Um, And some people think that because he has his outbursts at time, you know, the whole Aaron Andrews, you know, don't you ever talk about the game. (laughs) you know kind of thing so but you're right you know he might he might talk crazy things but he backs it up by by you know showing up and showing out and doing crazy things on the defensive side of the football so no that's what i'm saying you can talk all you want but at the end of the day if you're not backing it up on the field then you're not really about that action you know what i mean richard sherman always has been but uh, you know, I just think back, I mean, he's part of probably the best defense we saw over this entire decade, and he's still doing it at the end. And, you know, he was dominating from the fir- from the beginning to the end of the decade, and that's what you want to see. So, you know, I, if I'm a quarterback, there's n- I would never want to throw at Richard Sherman. So that's just, I don't know, that's just the way I look at it. I love the fact, though, that he talks big and he backs it up because there's not a lot of guys these days who can talk big and still back 
up what they got to say. But, you know, I'm really excited for the Super Bowl. But we'll save a Super Bowl talk for next week since we got some time on it. Um, the next thing I want to talk about here is this, this kind of pissed me off. This ruined fight night a little bit for me here. And that was watching the Rockets blow a 10-point halftime lead against the Lakers. And the Rockets have now won one out of their last five games and lost every single game they played last week. I mean, do you think they need to switch up the roster? Do you think there's in a slump? Or what do you think's going on here with them? I don't know what's going on with them. I've been telling all my friends, the Rockets need a win like old people need soft shoes. <laughs> you know, it's just been something that they need so badly and they're just not getting it. It makes absolutely no sense. They have an all-star type roster and they're, you know, two two games ago, they blew a lead that they had to the Thunder because Chris Paul went off being a point god last five minutes of the fourth quarter like he's been doing all season. So, you know... I think that I don't think that they need to necessarily get rid of anybody or add one or two more pieces, as Kyrie Irving would like to say. But I definitely think they're in some sort of slump right now. They're going to have to get out of it. I mean, look at James Harden's stats. He's he's put up numbers that look like tour dates. Um, you know, um, I have his last. Let's see his last eight games here. He was one for I think this is from from three point one from seventeen, two of eighteen, one of eight, three of fourteen, five of nineteen, four of twenty, three of seventeen, two of fifteen, two of sixteen. Like it, it it's been terrible. And you know we're seeing James Harden come off a season where he averaged almost forty points a night. You know of course he's not gonna keep up that same production like he like he has been um the previous season but definitely think that the rockets are a threat in the western conference and they definitely could make it to the western conference finals if they get their stuff together look basketball is a long season you're going to face adversity at some point in the season i think right now is the best time if you're a team like houston that you want to face that adversity and you know, quite frankly, I think Houston's going to get through it and they'll be fine. I do think they need to shake up the roster a little bit, but not by moving any of their key pieces, which is Tucker, Harden, Capella, Westbrook, and Gordon. I think they need to keep all those guys around for the most part. But I mean, like, I can't remember the last time I saw Daniel House Jr. hit a three-pointer, and he's a guy I had a lot of faith in coming in the season. I feel like they need a little bit of a spark off the bench. Austin Rivers has been out over that stretch, so maybe he's a little more crucial of a part of the team than I thought he was. That's what I'm questioning a little bit, but it's a long season, you know, man. You're going to go through slumps. You're going to play a couple bad games in a row. I mean, realistically, that Warriors team that in the that won all those games, that's pretty much the only team that doesn't lose a couple games in a row, you know, and have a couple bad outings in a row. It's a long season. You're going to lose focus. You're going to have shooting slumps, but I think the Rockets are focused, and they're focused on the one goal, which is winning the championship. You know, their thing is one team, one mission, and I think they're going to stay true to that mission. I do think, though, they need to bring just – a little like just an extra spark off the bench. They just need like one more player just to spark that offense, you know, to bring them just a little extra something, something. So I could definitely see like a small trade for them to get an extra score, an extra scoring option, but I don't really think that they necessarily need to just break the roster up altogether, you know. Harden's going to do better. He's going to have his bad nights shooting the ball. He's also going to have plenty of nights where he drops 60 straight points, you know. So it's just what is what it is. It's the stretches of basketball and how the game's played realistically. Um, kind of changing topics here, but staying on basketball. 
Um, so first off, did you see that fight last night? Actually, I know you saw the fight last night yeah. between Kansas and Kansas State. Yes, sir, I did. It was almost mm-hmm. like a malice in the palace. No, it was it was absolutely crazy. I mean, that dude picked up a freaking chair. I mean, he suspended indefinitely, but I mean, he didn't hit anybody with it. But still, like, that was crazy. Yeah, um, I think though that he would not have hit him with the chair. But I mean, that's just all speculation. But it was crazy to watch. Uh, I've never seen anything like that unfold on the TV screen with time expiring like that before. I know things like that have happened before, but not like that. No, I agree with you. Like, it's just crazy to see because I just I just hated it, honestly, for the game. I thought it was so unprofessional by both teams. Like, Kansas State had no business trying to steal that ball to begin with, but then to go on top of all that, you know, like, look, you blocked the guy's shot, you embarrassed him. Do you really need to stand over him, you know? Like, I thought there was just so much unnecessary. I, thought, I just thought it was so unnecessary by both teams, you know, and I thought it was a really bad look on the sport of college basketball, but... We all know what everyone wants to see here out of college basketball. Before we both pick our way too early Final Four teams here, do you have any general takeaways from the season of college basketball thus far? You know, to be quite honest with you, I've really only been watching SEC basketball. And my biggest takeaway has been that the season has is not going to be as interesting as the season for or probably next season because we're seeing you know the top five draft picks all sitting out or playing overseas or injured the only top five playing right now is anthony edwards Mm -hmm. and you know i've had the privilege of going and seeing anthony ant play in in person over at stegman and i mean he's an electric player but i don't think he's the best player on our team um and you know uh, if you go and look at the roster and look at the stats, you'll see that Hammonds is almost putting up more points and rebounds um, per game. And so, you know, I just don't think that it's as interesting as it could be. I think things start to really get ramped up when you get closer to the conference tournaments. And that's when I really start paying attention um, is when we get to, to be around that time because then you have teams actually – fighting for seating and there's a little bit there's a little bit extra something on the line if that makes sense when in basketball because there's so many games like there's going to be nights where you just don't try as hard that you are going to try other nights and it might not be you know because i don't know if that makes sense to you or not but there's just going to be nights where you might win but you didn't try as hard as you as you could have but when it comes to be the end of the season i've seemed to find that teams start to get really locked in they get focused it's tournament time let's try not to lose any games let's try to figure out our chemistry so that when it comes to be make or break time you know win or go home that we're prepared for that so yeah, no, you know, I've, I agree with you. Like, you don't have R.J. Hampton, Cole Anthony, Melo Ball, James Wiseman. Like, none of these guys are playing, so that sucks for college basketball. Honestly, my biggest takeaway in college basketball is there's only been one team so far that has impressed me. 
And that's Baylor. Actually, I'm very impressed with Florida State, but Baylor to me has impressed me on a whole other level of everyone else. I feel like this team is so much better than everyone, you know, and they've, I mean, that win they had at Kansas where they just kicked ass, like uh, the fact they went into Kansas and beat them like that. I mean, the fact that someone in the AP poll voted for Kansas above Baylor after they, Kansas lost by 12 on their home court to <laughs> Baylor, like, dude, you don't deserve to be able to vote for the AP poll if you vote Kansas <laughs> to be number one over them. Like, like, come on now. And then other, other beef I have real quick in the coaches poll is how is Louisville above Florida State when we went into their own building and whooped their ass, you know, like, I'm not really seeing it there, guys, with either of those. But anyway, no one's really that much better than anyone. I think it's the most wide open I've ever seen, March Madness. So with all that being said, we're going to sit here and attempt to act like we actually know who's going to make the Final Four, which I'm going to first off say this, guys. I wouldn't be surprised if a sing- if none of these teams make the Final Four. <laughs> like I would not be shocked at all if none of them do. But um, who's your first team you have in the Final Four? Well, I'm going to just go ahead and use – the first team that I was most impressed with that you just actually mentioned, and that's Baylor. Um, you know, I've seen Baylor struggle in the first half of a couple of games, but they always turn it on the second half and they take care of business and get things done. And for that reason, I think they're just one of the most solid, well-rounded uh, teams in all college basketball. And so that's why I have them at number one on my list. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there on that one. I mean, like you said, that defense, man, is something else. I mean, they was on best. It was best, you know, like showcased against um, Oklahoma State over the weekend. You know, they absolutely shut down Oklahoma State, and they really couldn't do anything the entire second half, you know. So I would definitely – I mean, they out finished the game, I think, on like a 44 to like uh, 31 run or something like that and came back and won the game and covered somehow. So that's who – I mean, there's no way I can't not put them at number one. Um, I'm going to jump here, you know, number two, I might as well go ahead and get my team out of the way here. And that's my Florida State Seminoles. Look, I'm a low key, a little worried we're winning all these close games right now. But at the same time, we really haven't played that well on them. We have a very stacked up roster, very deep team, great players. I think that Devin Vassell gives us great length and guarding Patrick Williams, nice freshman. Then we got guys like MJ Walker, who've been around for a long time and give us, you know, a nice, um, Gives us a, like a good job of having age, but at the same time being young. So I got Florida State in my final four. Who's your second team? The second team that I have is Kansas. Even though they've had a couple of players suspended overnight, indefinitely, I think that those players will be back. And Kansas has been, Bill Self, I think, just always has players prepared and ready. He's one of those coaches, like kind of like Nick Saban, in the sense that you just like, gives you like a little bit of extra confidence in a team like you just feel like he's gonna have his guys prepared and ready for whatever might may come their way and so and not to mention kansas is one of the biggest teams in college basketball right now uh, like like size wise like the guys they put at the paint are just in my opinion somewhat unstoppable they're huge they just they body everybody and get to the rim and there's no way to stop them other than to foul them, and then when they get to the free throw line, they hit the free throws. So that's why I have Kansas at number two. Yeah, you know, I, I definitely don't hate the pick at all there with Kansas. I think they're going to have a great shot to get in there. I just feel like, though, that, you know, I'm, we might have gone a little too chalky there with them, but 
I could definitely see him having a good shot of getting out there. My third team I'm going to take is the Dayton Flyers. I really liked what I saw out of them at the beginning of the season. And, I mean, they're still putting up there. Obi Toppin, I mean, he's not a well-known guy, but I think he should be a top 10 pick in this upcoming NBA draft. Um, Dayton has made many deep tournament runs before. You know, this is a well-coached team. I really think Dayton can easily get in here and do some damage. And, you know, I kind of like having one of those teams that's going to be outside of everyone right here to go in so i got dayton right there who's your next team my next team is i took all all big teams i took michigan state okay um i really i think um unlike dayton michigan state was one of those teams that really struggled at the beginning of the season and i think they've kind of started to figure out who they are and figure out their chemistry they got a lot of seniors that have been playing together for a couple of years now and i think that they've kind of I think they got snubbed by Auburn last year in the tournament. So I think they're coming back with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and they want to take care of some business and make a deep run. So I got Michigan in my third slot. Yeah, Michigan – well, you said Michigan or Michigan State? Michigan State, sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, Michigan State, when they get Langford back, I would definitely reconsider my rankings. But, you know, they're another fringe team for me there. I definitely don't hate your selection at all there. My uh, last team, I'm gonna—I'm not gonna lie. It's hard for me to leave Louisville out of here because I think that they're legit. But I'm going with Seton Hall, and honestly, I wanted to record this mm. segment last week when Seton Hall was ranked 18th. But then, of course, they go on this huge win streak. Look, Seton Hall for those four losses they had—they didn't have Miles Powell for three of them. Miles Powell, if y'all don't know who he is, go Google him. One of the best players in college basketball, in my opinion, he's the best player—not translating the NBA, but just best pure player in college basketball. He's the best by far, in my opinion. I mean, the dude's an absolute bucket. Anytime you need a go-to basket, anytime you need to close a team out, Miles Powell can put the team on his back. There's not a lot of players like that in college basketball this year, which is why I think they have a great chance. But they've held every single team except for Butler this season to their lowest scoring game of the entire season. Wow. I mean, that's pretty crazy. That's a lot of defense right there. Defense. I mean, when you get to that second game in March, the team that rebounds and plays defense is the team that's going to win, and that's what's going to help Seton Hall get here. I also did place a future on Seton Hall when they it was a uh, twenty to win four hundred on them to win the uh, title. So if you want a nice little long shot thing, I don't know what the odds are at today. Now that they're top ten, I did that when they were ranked eighteenth. But a lot of value on Seton Hall moving forward. Yeah, might wait for them to lose a couple of games. But yeah, I really like Seton Hall. I've been watching a couple of Seton Hall's games actually starting last year, and I really like the foundation that they set going into the, this season this year. And like you said, they just have a couple of players that can just. You know, put the nail in the coffin whenever you ask them to. So, um, it's it's been really it's been a sight to see. My fourth slot is a West Coast team. I took Gonzaga. Um, I think Gonzaga is due for a deep run in the tournament. We've seen them consistently. You know, Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight. You know, for the past decade or so, and um, they've kind of been a little bit on the fringe, like you like like you said before. And uh, I, 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 to be honest, I haven't really watched a lot of their games because so many of them are so late at night on the West Coast. Um, but I just know that they have a good coach and they've been playing some really consistent basketball. So I took them at my number four, way too early Final Four. 
Yeah, you know, I don't hate that at all. Oregon and Louisville barely missed my list there. I think Oregon as well is pretty legit. So, you know, there, there's so many teams that could win in college basketball this year. So we'll be, we'll, let's keep up with these and see if we actually got any teams right. I mean, I'd be shocked if any of us had one, let alone two, let alone three. If we have three teams on there, like, I would be very impressed. But, mm-hmm. I mean, if we have two, if I have two teams on there, I'm, I'll sleep well at night knowing I was at least able to predict two of them. But anyway... Let's keep things moving here. We're making pretty good time so far. I know we're both trying to get out of here soon mm-hmm. so we can go watch uh, Zion Williamson play his first game in the NBA. And speaking of Zion, you think him coming back can change the Pelican season? Um, I think him coming back can change the Pelican season if he is as great as we think that he is. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on on him and on his shoulders, so to say, right now, to be the next LeBron James, to be the next Kobe Bryant, to be the next Michael Jordan. And I think in his first year, we just might not see that. Um, However, uh, I think the Pelicans have been playing pretty consistent, pretty well lately. And we were talking earlier, uh, yeah, I think you said they've covered the last 14 games that they played. Um, on the spread, so um, even if even if they're losing, they're still being really competitive in the games that they're playing, and I think that can't hurt to have a number one overall pick in Zion Williamson. So I'm really excited to see what he's going to do tonight. Yeah, you know I can't wait to watch and see what he does tonight. But <clears throat> look, I'm gonna be honest with you. I fit the, this is the this is the way that everything plays out for the Pelicans here. So the Pelicans, they have. Um, like the fourth easiest schedule in the NBA moving forward, and they played the third hardest schedule in the league so far this season. That's And so they had a 33% chance to make the playoffs, but that's not accounting for Zion. But I have some bad news for you guys. I would bet any amount of money that Zion will miss at least three more games this season. Let's be honest, guys. Zion needs to lose weight, and unfortunately, the player I compare him to the most in the NBA is Blake Griffin, and Blake Griffin's always hurt. It's just a fact of the matter. When you play off the ground that much and above the rim like he does, you're going to get hurt some. Look, I love Zion's game, and I think he's an absolute baller and a complete game changer when he's in the lineup. Like, no one gets rebounds, runs the floor, can pass like him. Like, I really think he's a next-level change-the-game kind of player like that, but... I just don't know how healthy he's going to be moving forward. I'm not going to say he's going to be a bust like a Greg Oden where he's hurt all the time, but he's going to be like a Kyrie Irving, Blake Griffin kind of guy, I think, moving ahead, you know, where he when he's in there playing, he's one of the best in the league, but he's going to miss 60. Or I mean, he's going to probably only play 60. I mean, if you can get 60-plus games out of him a season, I think that's going to be good usage for him. And I also wouldn't be shocked if the Pelicans shut him down early this season as well. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Pelicans shut them down if they get out of playoff contention. But I think as of right now, they're in a pretty good spot to be competitive and at least make a run for it, um, at least like a seven or eight spot. Um, but anything more than a six spot, I don't think that they can achieve. Yeah, you know, I, I completely agree <clears throat> with you there. I don't, I don't, actually, I don't even think they can get higher than the eight seed if they get in the playoffs. Eight seed is it. I mean, if Zion's able to come back and just play at MVP level. Also, I think he will be on a minutes restriction tonight as well. So that'll be something else to watch for there. I doubt he'll be able to just let him run loose and fly loose across the court. So the last segment we got here is something I'm pretty excited to do. I always love spec. There's nothing better in the NBA than speculating trades and where people are going to go in free agency. So 
Me and Austin came up with three trades that we think could possibly happen at this NBA trade deadline, or that we think sh- not necessarily. This is basically that we think should happen. So, Austin, I'll let you take things away from with us here on the first one. What's your first trade you cooked up? The first one that I cooked up is Andre Drummond. I okay. think that Andre Drum- Drummond is kind of in a bad spot in Detroit. You know, the Hawks had some conversation maybe about picking him up. Looks like that fell through. But I think Andre Drummond's only like 26 years old. Like, he's still a really young guy. He's had a pretty great career so far. And he's still got a lot. Like, you, you, gotta, uh, you can get a max deal out of him, you know, if he gives you, if he has a show out season next year, you know, like, he'll be worth like a max contract, in my, in my opinion. And so I think that getting him would be an absolute bargain for a team right now. It's just, what are you willing to give up? Yeah, um, what team do you think you see trading for him? Um, it's definitely going to have to be a team that is going to be in contention. You know, I really felt like he would fit in really well with the Hawks. Um, but it's looking like that's not going to happen. I w- I, last week I would have told you that Portland would be a great spot for him. But now it looks like Portland's going to be picking up Trevor Ariza. So to be honest with you, I not really sure where a possible landing spot for him would be but i just think that he's the best available center on the market right now yeah i agree with you there he's one of the best available players on the market um i actually excluded him though from my trade speculation here that i'm speculating so the first trade that i cooked up here Look, I've said it from day one. Milwaukee's stupidest thing they did was paying Eric Bledsoe. He doesn't fit at all. Last year in the playoffs, he was absolute garbage, and they played George Hill over him in the playoffs. Look, if Milwaukee wants to win a championship and keep Giannis there, they need to make some sort of move, and I think the best move they could make is trading Bledsoe and two first-round picks to Oklahoma City for Chris Paul. I think Oklahoma City would be willing to part ways with Chris Paul to stockpile two more first-round picks, especially on the outside chance that Giannis leaves him in free agency. If you're Milwaukee, you can't afford to let Giannis walk away when he said that he wants to stay there, and there's a very strong chance he could. I think if you pair Chris Paul with Giannis, it gives you your best chance at winning the East because realistically, the East is still wide open. All these teams, it basically comes down to matchups in the East is who's going to get through the East. So that's my trade there. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I think I think that's pretty solid. Um, definitely could see that happening. I think that the Thunder really, Oklahoma City really values draft picks right now, and the you know the Bucks could use a point guard that would take a little bit of stress stress off of Giannis so I think that that's a good fit I definitely think um now that I'm kind of collecting my thoughts I definitely think the 76ers are a team that could use uh one or two more shooters Derrick Rose would probably be a good fit there um if not Derrick Rose the 76ers um I just really think that they need some more perimeter shooting especially at the point guard position. So I could also see maybe, sounds kind of crazy, but maybe Chris Paul going to the 76ers um, and, you know, filling a spot there. Uh, I just don't know what the 76ers have to give the Thunder that they would be interested in. So, 
Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I don't know if they have much they'd be interested in. I actually don't like the Derrick Rose move there. Derrick Rose is not a three-point shooter, in my opinion. He's more of a drive, get the pull-up two, or go to the bucket. You know, the 76ers, they need somebody who can stretch the floor with their ability to shoot. But, you know, I think Derrick Rose is one of the hottest commodities on the trade market a team can get for cheap. But... I just really feel like though they they need an extra shooter there. I mean, I I think the 76ers should go get a point guard. Like there was one I was kind of speculating a little bit, maybe Kyle Lowry there. I just don't see a way that Toronto and Philadelphia would strike a deal with each other. But you know for a fact Toronto wants to clear a spot for Van Vliet to be the starting point guard. Lowry's from Philadelphia, so it makes sense in that standpoint. But I just don't really see those two teams wanting to help each other out, you know. Um, yeah. My second trade I'm going to go with here is the Rockets trade Daniel House Jr. to, and maybe throw in like one other player to the Knicks for Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris is an extra scorer to add to them off the bench or in the starting lineup. He can shoot the three-point ball. He can get his own shot when Harden or Westbrook goes to the bench. You could even rest both of them and have him out there. I mean, this guy can straight up get buckets. He did on the Celtics. He is on the Knicks now. I think that it'd be a good trade for the Knicks to get him out of there. And I mean, House Jr. is a young guy who, in my opinion, has a lot of upside. So I think that's a good move for the Knicks. Maybe the Rockets throw a future first or something or other in there to sweeten the deal a little little bit but I think House Jr. Or I think the Rockets getting Marcus Morris in some sort of trade would be a great fix for what they need yeah I love the Morris brothers I think both of them are competitive and I definitely think that that would be a great fit chemistry wise um, for the Rockets yeah actually I hate Markeith though when he was on the Wizards and he beefed with the Hawks in the playoffs so I got beef <laughs> with Markeith but I like Marcus for sure <laughs> <laughs> um, let's keep it moving though. And what's your final trade you got cooked? But up both us? of them are are kind of goons. Oh, dude, the last one that I had cooked up is kind of a long shot. But I still think that D'Angelo Russell needs to go out of um, Golden State, and I think that a great landing spot for him would be Phoenix. I think that Phoenix has some pieces that they maybe the Warriors would be interested in. Maybe Sarkic. Um, or maybe even Ricky Rubio because they picked him up this year. Um, so I think that uniting D'Angelo Russell and Devin Booker would probably make for a pretty um, elite backcourt. So Yeah, you know, the dream is for Rubio uh, – I mean, not for Rubio, for uh, D-Book, D-Lo, and Cat to all play on the same Charlie team together. Towns. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's their dream right there. But, um, you know, I actually think that the 76ers and the Warriors should talk on the phone about making some sort of trade. Look, the 76ers, they need a shooting guard. D'Angelo Russell would fix all their problems right there. I would trade them Ben Simmons or Embiid for him. I don't think they would do the deal for Horford because Horford's old. But, you know, if they had a healthy team, they might do it for Horford. But I think that either of those players for Russell and maybe this first-round pick would be – I mean, maybe like or like a protected first-round pick or something I think would be a good trade for both sides. But um, I actually I actually like that. You know, I really like that move right there, actually. That's what the 76ers should go out and do is go out and get D'Lo. Make the move. Blow it up. Go get him. But um, actually, the last trade that I have here, this might be a little bit of a fan trade, but if you, if you think about it logically, it makes sense. The Hawks trade John Collins and the Cavaliers' top 10 protected first-round pick to the Wizards for Bradley Beal. 
Look, John Collins at the end of the day is not the answer for us at center. The Hawks' interior defense makes my eyes bleed watching them play. The Hawks have one of the worst defenses in the entire NBA. They need a center that can actually block shots. John Collins is a rebounder and a scorer. He does a good job stretching the floor, but he's not it for us inside. In this NBA, you can't pay two get you know you can't really pay two big men like that unless they're elite I don't think John Collins is of the elite level and he doesn't protect the rim therefore I think if Trey Young is another player like Brad Beal in there he can create his own shot off the dribble I mean that could be the most lethal backcourt in the entire league you know I mean Beal's averaging almost 30 a game Trey's top five in the league in assists and points right now nearly averaging 30 a game I mean those two guys would be absolutely unstoppable and would fill it up every single night I think that's a trade the Wizards would be interested in too to lots more young talent because I mean this team is moving in a bad direction right now really honestly they have no direction they're stuck paying Chris Paul or, I mean they're <laughs> stuck paying John Wallace a ton of money yeah. so I think it's a good move yeah that's definitely something that would be amazing to watch but I just have a hard time seeing the Wizards being in the same division as the Hawks and being willing to trade but who knows I've seen crazier things happen yeah, the NBA, I think you're more likely to see two teams in the same division make a trade, but you know, I agree with you. I don't think the Wizards are going to want to part ways with Beal, but it has also come out that Beal's unhappy there with the Wizards. Um, but anyway, that's uh, pretty much all we got for this podcast. Um, any closing words or thoughts? Nope. I'm excited to watch Zion tonight. That's what I'm saying, guys. I'm excited to watch Zion tonight. Um, also going to watch a little Seton Hall Providence as well. Got to watch... Got to see what the the Pirates are up to tonight. So, <laughs> going to be a quality night of watching some basketball. But, Austin, I appreciate you coming on once again, man. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. And, once again, guys, we'll see you all next week.